seated. Would you all bow with me? Oh, Father, we thank you for this beautiful Sabbath day. Father, we thank you for time to gather together and, and the freedom to do so, God. And uh, we, we thank you for this place to gather together in. Um, you know, it doesn't seem just too awful long ago that we weren't able to do this. And already I find myself um, taking it for granted. And uh, God, we just thank you for the ability to be together this morning to worship you as uh, this piece of the body of Christ. Father, as we, uh, as we think about all the needs this morning, they are many. Um, there are those who, who need physical healing uh, that are recovering um, in the hospital even now, that are recovering from operations and procedures this week. Um, Father, and then there are those who, who are just uh, suffering uh, spiritually and emotionally. God, we just ask that you would minister to, uh, to our body um, in these ways, but also, God, that you would minister to those that are on all of our hearts this morning. I know I, I, I come this morning with, with several people on my heart that are um, that are suffering, and, and God, I know that the rest of us uh, have those in, uh, that are close to us and even in our periphery that have tremendous needs this week. Um, God, we are so uh, overwhelmed by your sovereignty. We're so overwhelmed by the fact that um, we were never in control, that you have always been in control, and God, there's nothing you cannot do. There's nothing that, that you cannot perform. And so, God, we just uh, thank you for your faithfulness in prayer, um, your faithfulness to your word. And, God, we just thank you so much for your word. We are continually blessed by, when we open it, uh, you, you have just messages to us daily, new things daily. Uh, if we've read a passage a thousand times, we open it today and we see something new. Um, Father, you, you never stop pursuing us. You never stop speaking to us. Um, God, we just ask that you would be with us this morning as we open your word together. I think that there's something different that happens when we open it uh, in a group setting like this and, and we open it together and, and then we, we leave here and we go to a small group setting and, and we, we go a little bit deeper. God, just speak to our hearts this morning. Uh, it is our joy to come and to worship you, and um, Father, we just thank you for meeting us here in this place this morning, and then we ask that you would just continue to be with us as we move to small group settings after this, and and then we go to lunch, and we continue to discuss, and God, just be with us throughout the day as we uh, as we um, ruminate on, on what you have to say to us in your word this morning. And so, Father, I just ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be pleasing to you, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this summer, we started a series a couple of weeks ago, um, looking at some of the parables that Jesus told and uh, looking really for, for our place in the overall story. It occurs to me I forgot to dismiss the uh, children. <laughs> if you are a child or an adult who believes to yourself to be a child, you can go to Children's Church now. It will be infinitely more interesting than what happens here. Um, just kidding. Just kidding. So today's passage with the vine and the branches is 
not so much a parable or a story as it is a metaphor. And so it's, it's a little bit different, but Jesus did this a lot. He made a lot of these, what I'll call I am statements. Um, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, sort of acknowledging that, that, that he is God. You know, God, God said, um, tell, you know, when they ask who sent you, say, I am sent you. So Jesus makes these I am statements and they're huge statements. Um, certainly would have been huge to the audience at the time. Um, remember Kyle Jones told us several weeks ago, there's, there's a message for the people at the time. And then there's a message to us in scripture. So these statements are, are humongous. And so today is just another one of those statements. Um, I am the vine. You are the branches. I am the, Jesus says, I am the true vine. So I find it extremely important to come to scripture with questions. There was a time in my life when I thought, you really shouldn't question scripture. You really shouldn't question God. And, and now I realize how silly that was because when you come to, to scripture with questions or when you ask questions of God, what happens? God answers. God answers. So just like the disciples, it is through questions that, that we learn. The word disciple just means, you know, one who learns. It, it literally can mean one who questions. Um, and so in the passage that Kristen covered last week, we saw the disciples turn to Jesus after he told the parable. And this is so encouraging to me that the disciples turn to Jesus and go, Jesus, what did that mean? And what did Jesus do? He answered them. He not only told them what the parable meant, but he said, and also this is why I'm using parables to teach. He explained to them the whole strategy. And so if you're taking notes this morning, write down, when we ask questions, God answers. And so this morning, I want to ask three questions in here. And then as you go to small group time, um, ask further questions. But the three questions I want to ask in here are, what does it mean that Jesus is the true vine? How do we abide in Christ? What does that mean? And then why? Why does Christ want us to abide in him? What's, what's the purpose? So what does it mean that Jesus is the true vine? Well, let's think a little more critically about the analogy of the vine some of you probably have vines growing up the fence in your backyard, and we have a whole, the whole back of our yard is vines and, and things. Uh, some, of them, some of you may have them growing up the side of your house. But we see uh, there's a picture, maybe, uh, but this is more, I think, what the disciples would have pictured is, is a grapevine. They would have been very, very familiar with, with the vineyard setting like this. Um, and so the passage that we're looking at in John 15 is actually from the night that Jesus was betrayed. So Jesus is sharing with his closest followers those things that he wants them to know before he's turned over to the chief priests. So he spends the evening explaining things to them like the Holy Spirit is going to come down. I'm going to leave. The Holy Spirit's going to come. Um, the, you know, he, it, Shortly after this passage, he says, you know, the world is not going to receive you well. Receive you well. In fact, the world will hate you because the world has hated me. So in the midst of all these huge things, there's this analogy about this vine. And hopefully that underscores for us 
the importance of, of this seemingly simple analogy. And I say seemingly simple because vines are commonplace. They would have been very commonplace for the disciples. It's, a, it's an agricultural reference. And in many of Jesus' parables, he used these types of commonplace references. Jesus used the seemingly simple to describe the extraordinary. So it probably didn't seem that special to the disciples that Jesus would compare himself to a commonplace vine. But then what does it mean that Jesus is the true vine? Well, if we think a minute for what purpose the vine serves, the vine serves as the source of all nourishment for the branches. If you think about it, the branches don't go all the way down into the ground. They just go into the vine. And the vine goes down into the ground, the roots go out, and then it brings everything up for the branches. Everything that they need. And as long as the branches are part of the vine, they have all the nourishment they need to do what? To bear fruit. So if you're taking notes... Write down the purpose of the branches is to bear fruit. The purpose of the branches is to bear fruit. And again, the disciples would have known this. And they would have totally understood, you know, the fact that the father is the vine dresser. And if, if branches aren't bearing fruit, you, you cut them off and, and, and you burn them. Just like separating the wheat from the chaff, all that sort of thing. Those are not analogies that mean as much to us because especially in southern Indiana, though there are vineyards around, we're, we don't spend a lot of time in the vineyard setting, but the disciples would have totally understood what he was talking about. So when you think about nourishment and the vine bringing up all this nourishment from the ground, think about yourselves. Think about how many things every day vie for your attention now think about how many of those things promise you nourishment almost everything that you're sold tries to convince you that it's a need and not a want right because if you need something you're more likely to buy it to buy into it whatever it is I love like taking Nora to the store because especially when she was a little younger everything was a need right i need that i need it and as an adult you're going you don't you don't need that in fact you'll play with that for five minutes and then you'll never touch it again um and in our house our kids try and convince us they need slime do you have that problem <laughs> kids don't need slime i can speak from experience um but all the people who sell cleaning products hope that you buy it. All these things vie for our attention every day. These things are huge. Social media. I need to be involved. I need to be involved in, in other people's lives. I can't shut off Facebook because people, I need it. People contact me through that. I need it. Folks, we need social media like a hole in the head. We really do. I mean, it is just... It, I was. I keep saying Facebook's going to be the cause of World War III. 
But we don't think about these things every day like that. We don't think about the dangers behind some of these things and about getting our wants and our needs confused. And then if you go deeper, getting our wants and God's wants confused. Because the goal, if you think about the branches and the vine, they have a united purpose, right? The vine brings nourishment for the branches so they can bear fruit. The whole point is to bear fruit. Well, the goal is for our wants to be transformed into God's wants. To be one in purpose. More on that in a minute. Everything, all day long, promises to fulfill our needs. And if something fulfills a need, we then start to build our identity on these things sometimes. And so, you know, sometimes it's a job. Sometimes it's our kids, our grandkids, a hobby, our bank account. Um, our 401k, whatever it is, we these things that are so important, and I'm not saying that none of these things are important. Don't hear that. Some of them are. But we take the things that are important and we make them ultimate. And they're not. They're not. The problem is, is that none of those things can actually provide what you really need. None of them can provide the nourishment you really need. Some of the things are enjoyable. Some of them are, like I said, very important. But none of those things were meant to fulfill our deepest need. We were created uniquely for a desire for God. When Jesus says in John 15, verse 1 this morning, I am the true vine, Jesus is saying, I am the only one that can ever provide the nourishment that you need. Jesus is saying, I'm the only one who can satisfy. Contentment and satisfaction is something we have a real problem with. Never being satisfied, always needing more is something that certainly in the Western world we have a real issue with. And so just like everything Jesus says, he always seems to demand a response. So The question that comes to my mind is, am I satisfied with Jesus? Or am I satisfied with Jesus and? Jesus and someone else. Jesus and something else. Jesus and this and that. Or am I just satisfied with Jesus? Because if we're not satisfied with the risen Christ, I'm willing to say that we're never ever going to be satisfied. With anything. Because we were created, again, uniquely for a desire for God. And so he's the only one that can actually satisfy. Compared to Jesus, the rest is empty. And so if we're relying on on Jesus for our needs, for our satisfaction, then what does it mean to abide in Christ? Our second question. The word abide is just not something we use that often anymore. So it sounds kind of complicated or nebulous. or just, I found myself going, what does that really mean? Um, and so I meditated on it a, a lot this week. And, you know, it's funny. And I listened to what other people had to say about it. But so much of what Jesus said was so simple. And we complicate it 
Because it has to be complicated, right? Because God has to be complicated when really, like Jesus talked about becoming like little children, because kids look at everything very simply. We don't. As you grow older, you overcomplicate everything. Just as the branches of a vine abide in the vine, they rest in the vine, so we must abide in Christ. That's all it means. Is just to be in relationship with Jesus. The branches rely on the vine for everything they need. And so Jesus is giving the disciples and us the simple picture of what a relationship with him should look like. But my confession before all of you this morning is I, I don't do that. I don't rely on Christ for everything I need. I try to control as much of it as I possibly can. And then when I get to the end of myself and I get to the point where I can't do anymore, then I rely on Christ. And then it pans out. And then it comes through. And then all the stress and worry that I've caused myself by trying to control it, that can all go away. So I find myself going, okay, why not just skip all the nonsense and go to the solution? I don't know. I don't know. It never works until I get to the point where I'm relying on him. And I identify with Paul in Romans 7, verse 15. Paul says, as part of a larger passage that you're probably familiar with, he says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. It's not a new problem. And it's both encouraging that Paul struggled with it and disheartening. Because if Paul couldn't figure it out, am I ever going to figure it out? I hope so. But human beings have struggled with this problem since the beginning, this control problem that we talk about a lot. We know exactly what God wants of us, and yet we insist on doing it our own way. Every time God pulls through, every single time God pulls through, I think, okay, I've learned it this time. And before I know it, I catch myself going right back to put myself on the throne of my own heart, pushing God aside until I need him again and and putting myself there so that I can drive. Because I can do a better job, right? No. No. Not even close. But Jesus says in John 15 this morning, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Jesus said, I've already made you clean. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Jesus isn't just saying, hey, you stick with me. Jesus is saying, you abide in me, and I will abide in you. It's this reciprocal two-way thing. But Jesus also says we will have fruitless lives unless we rely on him. Because in and of ourselves, we have no nourishment. We can't produce fruit. But there's one other piece here that Jesus mentions in this passage. In verse 10, Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, 
You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So we come back to this commandments word that none of us like. We don't like the word obey. But Jesus says here that if we love him and we desire him, then we will obey him. And we don't necessarily like that word obey, but we use it on our children and our grandchildren all the time, right? We've told our kids a hundred times, how do you show your parents that you love them? You do what they say. You obey them. Two weeks ago when I preached on building your house on the rock or with no foundation, Jesus said in that parable that a strong foundation is built by obedience to his word. So you see that this message just keeps coming up. Jesus keeps saying, if you just obey, everything will be okay. Our love for Christ is shown by our obedience to him. Anybody can intellectually agree with the idea of Jesus, with the idea of grace, with the idea of a God. Jesus is worth more than your intellectual assent. He is worth your obedience. Your love to him is shown by your obedience. My love to him is shown by my obedience. This means that our lives should reflect our love for Christ just as the branches reflect their relationship to and with the vine. If you think about the vine and the branches for a minute, at some point in their growth, the division between the vine and the branches almost becomes invisible. I think about this huge patch of vines we have at the back of our yard, and you can't even really tell where the vine ends and the branches begin because the branches resemble the vine so much at this point. But so should it be in our relationship with Christ. If you're taking notes, write this down. The world should not be able to tell where we end and where Christ begins. The world should not be able to tell where we end and where Christ begins. So that brings us to our third and final question. Why does Christ want us to abide in him? And that seems like such a, an, like a simple question, but there's so much here. Because it's a beautiful picture for us to abide in Christ. To have this relationship where we rely on him for things and he provides all things, just like the garden. Man relied on God for all of his needs and God met those needs. It's beautiful to think that the world can visibly see our relationship with Jesus. Just like in this picture, we can visibly see that the branches have a relationship with the vine. Because there's a humongous bunch of grapes hanging off that branch. In John 15, 11, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Church, that is a huge statement. God's plan is not for us to be happy. Because happiness is fleeting. It's temporary. You can wake up happy and by noon, it's gone. 
It comes and goes with the wind. God's plan for us is to have deep, eternal, abundant joy. Joy that you wake with every morning. That you lay down with every night. Regardless of what the day may bring or what it brought. Some days we wake up and we know the day is going to be hard. Some days we wake up and the rug gets pulled out from under us. But joy remains. Happiness does not. Happiness says, this is fun. But joy says, no matter what happens, I know it's going to be okay because the creator of the universe fights for me. That he's already in the time I'm worried about working on my behalf for me. This is why so many of the false gospels that are preached today are so dangerous. Because they say God wants you to be happy. God wants you to live your best life. That couldn't be more wrong. God wants you to have so much more than that. Happiness pales in comparison to what God wants for you. God does not want you to live your best life. He wants you to have eternal life with the only true and perfect Father that you will ever know. And that eternal life starts the moment you believe in Him. The moment you accept what Jesus did on your behalf, that eternal life starts. It doesn't start when you die. It doesn't start when you enter glory. It starts now. That's what God wants for you. And so you see how these false gospels that want you to be happy here and say, God wants you to be so happy and God wants you to be wealthy and God wants you to have this and have that. They're dangerous because they distract you from what God really wants, which is so much more. There's another part of this joy that cannot be missed. We read it just a bit ago that Jesus says, if we abide in him, that our lives will bear fruit. Just as we see in this picture up here. As we abide in Christ, as we rely on Christ, as that relationship with Christ is reflected to others in the world, they're sort of attracted to it. I, uh, I know you probably don't believe this, but I, I joke around a lot at work. Um, those of you who know me know I, I don't have a very good sense of humor. Um, and I joke around. I get to work at like 6 in the morning, and it starts, which is very annoying for my coworkers. Um, and I had a lady ask me one morning, she said, why are you so happy? So I told her, I told her why I was happy because God loves me and I love God and there's nothing that can happen to me that God can't take care of. Her answer was, oh, but as we, as the world sees They're drawn into relationship. We're drawn into relationship with them. And as relationships are formed, we get to share our lives with others. Jesus is talking here about discipleship, about bearing fruit in your life. Because as we share our lives with others, as we let them in and they become part of our walk with Christ, fruit is born in our lives and in their lives and our lives become more rich and more full. And those of you that have been in a setting where you see someone come to joy for the first time in their life, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's amazing. And you think, 
I'm not worthy to be a part of this. However, Jesus also says in John 15, verse 2 this morning, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. I did a little bit of research this week. So I don't have a, a, a really great green thumb, unlike some of the others of you in here. And I sort of researched what, what pruning does. I was curious. And according to one local plant nursery's website, it said, they said pruning is the practice of selectively removing plant parts, branches, buds, spent flowers, etc., to manipulate the plant for horticultural and landscape purposes. If you're wondering whether pruning hurts a plant, the truth is that pruning does wound a plant, which promotes healthy growth. Because pruning stimulates a plant's natural healing process. Flowering plants usually produce more flowers after pruning. In other words, bad things do happen and will happen. And the Father uses those bad things to increase the ability for you to bear fruit in your life. We talked in Elder Deacon training this week that God has this ultimate will for our lives. And he uses everything that happens. Some of it's good. And some of it's really not. And he uses all of it. God's ultimate goal is for us to bear fruit in his life. Because as Jesus said in the passage this morning, as we bear fruit, he is glorified. Which should be our ultimate goal, for God to be glorified. The goal from the beginning, from the beginning of the story, is for his name to be made great and his salvation to be made known to the ends of the earth. So that everyone may know. Bad things happen because ideally when those bad things happen, we turn to him. Just as when the vine dresser prunes the branches, what do the branches do? They rely on the vine for healing. They rely on the vine to provide that which they need to heal and recover. And so lastly, I'll just say this. Your father wants a relationship with you. And if you're here this morning and you haven't come to that realization Please hear that. The only way to accept that relationship is to rely on what Christ did on your behalf, is to abide in Christ. Because he paid with his blood for your sin and for my sin so that we might return to the Father eternally. And through that reunion, that we might have exceeding abundant joy in our lives. A joy that ideally we will share and will be visible to others. Pray with me. Oh, Father, we do thank you so much for what Jesus did for us. So willingly. Even with knowledge of just how much and how often we would mess up. Oh God, you provide everything that we could ever need and, and honestly everything that we could ever want. We, we think we want things that ultimately end up being empty. And God, everything that you provide is so rich and so full. 
We love you, God. We thank you for the way that you provide for us. You are a good and perfect Father. You provide for us in ways that we could never provide for ourselves and that no one else could ever provide for us. We thank you for your word this morning, God. We ask as we continue in worship that you you continue to speak to our hearts and to transform us into those who we were created to be. We pray this in Jesus' name.